Uh, if you're wondering who I am, raise your hand if you've never met me before. Perfect. It, <laughs> my parents are laughing. They're like, yeah, we wish. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, my name is Micah, Micah Stevens. I'm the worship pastor here, so I typically get the comfort zone of like this microphone between you and I and then my guitar, so I'm like just kind of hiding behind it all. So this is a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Um, I'm the worship pastor here. I'm also the administrative pastor here. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to have this opportunity to uh, hang out with you guys. Um, can we give an, another round of applause for Alex and the team? They, they absolutely killed it. It's such a good job. So blessed by them. We're going to get to sing some more songs, or uh, another song at the close of the, the message. Um, so I, I'm excited about this opportunity to kind of cultivate our relationship uh, with each other outside of just singing with you guys. Um, and I, I actually get to talk, uh, talk with you and share a little bit about um, a testimony that the Lord's using in my life right now. Uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Molly. Uh, we've been married for like, I don't know, seven years or something like that. <laughs> Who's counting? Seriously, it's like, dude. <laughs> she is, yeah, she is. She really is. She's like, seven uh, yeah, we've been married for seven years. I confirmed that. I called her after last service. I was like, hey, babe, like, seven, right? <laughs> she just hung up on me. <laughs> no, but, so we, I've been married for seven years. We have three kids here on earth. We have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, Oliver, Liberty, and Elliot. They are awesome. I love them. I've been working here for about ten years now. Started working here. My junior year in high school as a youth intern, and I've been, uh, I've had every, every um, job title, uh, job description, what, whatever that means, uh, in the past 10 years, and the journey's been crazy, and after high school, I tried college, <laughs> Try, and then I was like, nah, so I just married the pastor's daughter. It's like... Just job security, <laughs> shameless nepotism. If you have a problem with that, too bad. I'm here to stay. Um, <laughs> you cannot vote me out of the family. But the journey has been crazy, and I, I was ordained, pastorally ordained here about a year and a half ago. Something like that. I'm not bad with, I mean, I'm not bad. I'm not good with dates, as you can tell. Um, and the, the Lord has been doing awesome things here at God Speak. And God, uh, God ordains people, and man just recognizes that. And so uh, the pastoral staff here at, at God Speak and the elders and you guys recognize that calling on my life. And uh, I was ordained as a pastor, and it's so awesome, it's remarkable, but it's terrifying at the same time. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really huge and noble calling, and it, it means more than just a title, especially here at Godspeak. We, we don't take that lightly. We don't just call people pastors because 
um, they can open up the Bible and, and read it. Uh, it, it. It means something more. Um, it's not just a, a tax-exempt title thing that just means you have to pay the IRS less. Like it's, it's, it's important. It, it, it means something, something real. And I, I, I'm blessed to be here in front of you guys. Uh, last week, Pastor Rick and uh, Pastor Rob asked me to teach. It's amazing that I had even a week to prepare. It's just like, dude, that's like more time than anyone's ever had to prepare a message here at Godspeak. Um, and of course, I said yes, and I asked Rob, like, hey, what, what should I teach? Like, what do you, what, because we've been, we've been all, kind of all over the place, and, and what, what, just dealing with the huge glaring issues at hand, and so we were in Acts, and I was like, Rob, what, what should I teach? And if anybody knows Rob, what did he say? Whatever you want, right? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> like, literally. I won't be there, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> it's on you, man. And so I can, if I could kind of put it in perspective for you, it's like it's akin to asking your wife what she wants for dinner, and she says whatever you want, and then you pick it, and then she hates it, and then you're like... Just pick something, like, just say something. You would think, so you would think that the, the broadness of it all would make it easy to just pick whatever you want, but it actually, it made it really difficult because there's so many things happening right now. And then Pastor Rob last week taught out of Genesis, Genesis chapter one, and if you guys missed that message, please go back and listen to it. It was so good, so good. He went through verse one and 10, and in the, in the uh, green room, Rick and I were just hanging out between services. He's like, dude, God, you were praying, and God gave you an answer. He gave you an answer. Just keep going through Genesis. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, it's just, I'm still struggling through it. Maybe. I don't know. And so uh, it's Sunday night now, last Sunday night, and I'm just cons- still struggling through it. And so I, I did what I always do when I'm struggling through something, and I really, really, really need wisdom. Like, beyond earth, like, I need someone to tell me uh, give me an answer that I can run with. And so I did what I normally would do. I asked my six-year-old. <laughs> so I was like, hey, <laughs> bubs, um, I'm teaching on Sunday. And he's like, oh, that's cool, that. And I was like, yeah, it is cool. But I don't know what to teach out of. And, and so what, what should I teach out of? And he's like, well, Obi, we call uh, Pastor Rob Obi, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So the, my kids call Pastor Rob Obi, Grandpa Obi, and Michelle's Mousy. And so, so uh, he said, well, Obi, he, he taught out a Genesis. He started Genesis on Sunday, so just keep going through Genesis. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. And it's so funny because Pastor Rick, who has more years, uh, years in ministry than I do years on this earth, he, like, recommended something, and I was like, eh, He's like, you should do Genesis. I was like, ah, maybe, dude. I don't know if you know what you're talking about. And then my six-year-old is like, do Genesis. I was like, yes, I've been waiting for someone <laughs> to tell me what to do. Uh, so because Oliver said so, we are picking up right where Rob left off in Genesis chapter 1. So if you guys need a Bible, the ushers are going to walk down the aisles. Raise your hand. Let them know that you need a Bible, and we are going to get into it. Genesis chapter 1, that's, um, how can I direct you guys there? Well, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, it's literally the first thing you could open your Bible to. (laughs) 
just hear like all this flipping, like furiously. Where the heck is it? So we're going to stand in a moment, but before we do that, uh, I'm going to kind of recap a little bit. Verse 1 through 10 that Pastor Rob went through last week, we talked about the teleological argument. What? (laughs) Does anyone know what the teleological argument for the existence of God is? No. You guys retained no information from last week. (laughs) You're like, I didn't remember he said that. Uh, I don't know what it means either. Uh, I'm kidding. So the teleological argument for the existence of God, I'll make it really simple for you. Bro, look outside, right? The creation screams of his handiwork. You cannot look outside, you cannot look at God's creation and deny that there is a creator. Psalm 19, verse 1, we read this last week. And um, really what we like to do as humans is we like to take concepts that are addressed in the Bible and we make up words around them to make ourselves feel smart. When God's like, I gave you a Bible verse for that. And then we're like, yeah, teleological argument. And he's like, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. You can't look outside and deny the existence of God. So we got 1 through 10. We, we covered the physical creation of the earth. And that got us about halfway through verse 3. Halfway, or not verse 3, halfway through day 3 in the creation account. We're going to pick up at verse 11. Don't stand yet. Uh, verse 11 through verse 13. We're, I'm just going to kind of fly through this so you have an understanding, uh, understanding of what's happening, the context. Verse 11 through 13, the trees that yield fruit and grass, that's the stuff that's created on day, finishing day three. And God saw it and was like, that's good. Verse 14 through 19. This is day four. God creates the stars, the moon, the sun, separates the light from the dark. That day ends and God says it's good. Yes, good. Verse 20 through 23, God populates the the sea with fish and the, the air with birds and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. That ends day five and God says it's what? Good. All right. We're following along. Then verse 24 through 25, this is the sixth and final day of God's active creating. He's active creating. And he takes about half the day, that's a very broad uh, assumption, (laughs) takes about half the day, whatever that means, uh, and he creates the land animals, all the creeping things on the earth. That's verse 24 through 25. And to creation at that point, it seems like God's finished. The animals are looking around. They're like, this is sweet. We get grass. We, there's fish. I can hunt and get food for my family of animals. And uh, it creation, it's, it's kind of over, seemingly, but God doesn't see it that way. And I think we kind of underestimate the, the, little, the space between verse 25 and 26. There's that space, and I see it not as God going like, hmm, Something's missing. No, it's God. He's excited about what comes next. He's stoked about it, right? It wasn't just an afterthought. It wasn't like, okay, cool, here's the earth, but there's something else I want. No, it was day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day, starting day six, and he cannot wait to get to this spot. He cannot wait for it. He is so stoked. You are not an afterthought, okay? Okay? You are the focal point. 
So, so verse 26 is where you guys come in. So let's stand and read God's word. Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. He creates you. Creates you, mankind. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He wanted to make it very clear that he created you. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. If you don't know what that means, ask your mom. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Created it for you. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, for you. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, what does it say? It was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for being um, a God that, that saw creation not as um, almost complete and then decided to create us as an afterthought. Lord, you were excited. You were excited halfway through day six and, and you couldn't wait to see the focal point of your creation. God, we, uh, we thank you for your word that you've given us and we, we pray a blessing over it. In your name we pray, amen. Take a seat if you want. It was very good. It was very good. What's the, the, what's the important word in that phrase? I'm sorry, I set you up to fail. I made it in red and everything, and you're like, there could be no wrong answer. Thank you. I have water here, but I guess I just sound like I'm thirsty. It's depressing. <laughs> Speaking of which. Thanks for the reminder to drink my water, Michael. <laughs> uh, so, I set you guys up to fail. Uh, it, it was very good. Well, I think that the most important word in that phrase is actually was. It was very good. And what makes that word important is that very good is it's a bold statement, right? Uh, coming out of 2020. Uh, there, there, I wouldn't call it good, let alone very good, right? And we kind of look at this and we go, teleological argument makes sense. I know that there's a God. I, 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 can't, I can't deny that there's a God, but this is where um, ag- agnostics get tripped up. Agnosis meaning without knowledge. Without knowledge, meaning I know there's a God, but I don't, I don't know him. And it doesn't make sense to me because look around, yeah, I, I see that there's a God, but man, there's so much pain, so much suffering. What went wrong? Where did it go wrong? Well, we know where it went wrong theologically. We understand theologically what happened, right? Half God said, the serpent. 
Hath God said? Question mark. We stop taking God at his word. Right? God told us something. He promised us something. And then we decided that we could do it better ourselves. Hath God really said? We began to doubt the very word that created us. And ever since then, that fall and God ushered us out of paradise, the world around us has been just absolutely crumbling. And, and teleologically, we understand it. Theologically, we get the fall. But God, what do we do now? Because it's not fun. It's not very good. Uh, this year is terrible, and my, my, my situation right now doesn't make sense. What is the pain for? There has to be a reason, right? There has to be a reason for the pain. C.S. Lewis has this awesome quote. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. A megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The pain has to be for something. It can't just exist. There's no way it just is that way. A lot of you guys uh, know that this year has been super difficult for me and my family. Specifically, uh, my wife, a couple months ago, had her, her fourth and furthest along miscarriage at 17 weeks. Um, and it's been really tough. It has not been very good. Um, and again, I can look outside and tell that there's a God. But making sense of the pain, the, the, the hardship, is it's difficult. Uh, we, we named him Theodore Elkin Stevens. Some of you guys might think that's a bizarre name. The, the meaning of it is gift from God, belonging to God. Theodore, gift from God, Elkin, belonging to God. God gave him as a gift, but that gift belonged to him. And it sounds nice, and it's a cool name, but it's, it's hard to really... Um, it's hard to really take that and, and be ex- excited about that. Um, it's hard to take that, that name and, and really apply it, rejoice in it. God, you, you tell me to rejoice, but it just doesn't, I don't, I don't really feel like rejoicing about that. Um, it, it was Saturday night, uh, and Saturday night for me is like Sunday night for you guys. Uh, you guys with real jobs. <laughs> Uh, I, I, um, Saturday night, it marks, uh, when I have to get ready for, for work in the morning. Like, I, Sunday is the big day. It's my big Monday. Uh, lots to do. Wake up super early on Sunday morning. And so I'm trying to get, get to sleep early enough. And Molly's 17 weeks pregnant. And uh, I'm laying down. And she's like, babe, let's listen to the baby's heartbeat. And we have this little... She actually wanted to listen to the baby's heartbeat all day, but she couldn't find the little fetal Doppler thing that we have. And uh, so she's like, I, I've, I've been looking for I want to listen to the baby's heartbeat, um, but I can't find the thing, so can you find it? Let's do it. I was like, all right, it's late, but let's do it. So uh, we're laying down, and, and we, we go for it, and she can find the heartbeat in like three, four seconds, literally. And like 10 seconds goes by, and like immediately, because we've, we've done this. We, we've been here three times, and immediately, it's like five seconds later, and I'm like, like, no, 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 no. Like, it's amazing how quickly we begin to just completely doubt everything. 
It, take, it t- literally took five seconds. I was like, God, seriously? And then like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, nothing. And, and I'm the most rational person that I know. Uh, I, I'm Enneagram 1, if that means anything to you. Like just like the strict perfectionist. I get it. I understand how this logically works. I think through it all. And then I act. And then I think about feelings like, I don't even think about feelings. I just, I have a, a, a thinking center and a doing center, and the feeling center is gone. Uh, my wife loves that. <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking through this, and uh, logical, I'm so logical, and, and the, the, the Doppler, the, the thing works, right? I can hear Molly's heartbeat. I can, you know that, like, scratchy sound? Uh, and there's just no baby heartbeat. And so in my amazingly logical brain, I'm like, oh, it's got to be the batteries, right? Immediately, like, starting that, 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 that uh, the progression through the stages of grief where I'm just like denying it. Like it has to be something else. And even Molly, who's just so technologically not there, looks at me and is like, she's thinking, I could tell she's looking at me like, that's not how batteries work. <laughs> like it's either, it's either on or it's off. And I'm like, no, like, uh, let's change the batteries. So I change the batteries. This obviously doesn't change anything. Um, and so uh, we're, we're just kind of laying there just like trying to figure out what to do. It's, it's late. It's pretty late, and so Molly's like, I just have to go to the ER. I can't find the heartbeat, uh, so I have to go to the ER, or else, like, I won't be able to sleep till I know for sure what the heck's going on, and uh, it's really, it's like 11.30 p.m. at this point, or something like that, and, you know, we have three kids, so I can't just go with her unless someone comes watch the kids, so I call, and everyone's sleeping, um, and so she goes to the ER by herself. It's COVID. It's just, like, the worst thing in the world. Um, and so she goes, she waits in the waiting room, it's like midnight now, and she finally, she gets to see, uh, she gets to see a doctor finally, and the, the doctor gives, does an ultrasound, and I, doctors, I have so much appreciation for you guys, but don't, don't be this guy. Uh, the doctor's just doing an ultrasound, and he's like, well, uh, Molly tells, tells the doctor what, what her fear is, and the doctor's just like, uh, at this point, there's no fetal cardiac activity. And Molly's like, wait, wait, wait. so like, well, yeah, I, I know, I tried. I, I was at home. I know that whatever that, the, all those words mean. I, so there's, yeah, you can't find a heartbeat. Well, what does that mean for me? He's like, well, at this point, there's no fetal, uh, fetal cardiac activity. You should probably schedule an appointment with your doctor tomorrow. And the doctor just walks out. It do- doesn't let her see the ultrasound. Could have told us the gender of the baby. Um, so Molly's just like, her brain is spinning so so I guess, yeah, so my, my baby's dead. Um, so she calls me, tells me. Um, and finally, finally, we, I, was able to get, um, I was able to get a hold of uh, Mikey and Danny, Molly's brothers. And so they show up. It's a little after midnight. I, I go, I get in the car, and I'm driving to Los Robles. And I, I'm just, like, angry and, and sad, just bummed, just like, God... So like, I can't stop shaking my head, just like, in just disgust, like, what, how, very good, there's no way. Uh, so I get there, and you guys are really familiar with that, that drive to Los Robles, where, you know, you left into the ER, and you kind of curve around, you can go in the parking, the parking garage, and then there's one parking spot, like, straight ahead, I, I don't have to go anywhere, I just, like, straight in, the parking spot right in front of in that little driveway, park, get out of the car, walk that little road behind the elevator and then the uh, cement 
little sidewalk over to the ER, see my wife, give her a hug, and then we walk that same sidewalk back, we get in the same car together, and I'm just sitting in the car, and like, if I could rip the steering wheel off, I would, uh, and I was just angry, and, and, and then what's, something crazy happened, I started crying, which never happens, I'm a cyborg, and <laughs> like, some of you cyborgs in here know what I mean, you're like, yeah, like, you were crying, you baby, and, <laughs> And, and so, I, like, it's like for, literally, first time in like ten years, like decade. I don't cry, so I start crying. And but it's 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 mixed with anger too. And it, it, I'm like, God, you created me in your likeness. You created me in your image. You told me to be fruitful and multiply. I'm here doing what you asked. And, and it's just why, why the pain? Why 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 can't it just be like very good? Why can't it just be very good? And I, I'm, a, I'm a nerd for, for word studies in the Bible. And I think it's fascinating that Genesis 1, we see that term very good. And we don't see the word very again, the, the word very, to describe anything. We don't see that word again until Genesis 4. Three chapters later, Genesis 4, 5. And we know the story, Cain and Abel, right? Adam and Eve have kids. Uh, Cain and Abel, and Abel, uh, God likes his offering, respects it. Cain... God doesn't respect his offering, and that's a whole sermon in and of itself. Uh, But we see verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and God being, did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. From very good in chapter 1 to very angry with a fallen countenance and a fallen world in chapter 4. It took us three chapters to get from very good, paradise, very angry, and that anger is that same anger, the impetus to the very first murder in human history. And I'm feeling this, right? I'm feeling this anger. And the, the fallen countenance, I could, I could relate to that. And I, Molly distinctly remembers um, thinking through this and, and the first thing she thought of, as soon as she found out, she, she, it was like, God, I can do this. I've done this before. Unfortunately, I'm used to it now. But I have a six-year-old now. And it, it's, so, it's so exciting until it's not. And, and he, he's so excited. I know this is going to be the hardest thing in the world to describe this pain to a six-year-old. That was our biggest hang-up. Hang How can I possibly explain this to a six-year-old? And so I, I felt the same way. I've never prayed for more wisdom in my life. And I asked so many different people to pray for me. And it was hard. And I, I knew it was going to be really hard. Or I assumed it would be really, really hard. And so the next morning I call a family meeting. And I have a one-year-old. And at that, he was just barely walking. And so like, he doesn't know. He's just like, like Elliot's just standing there. Like, no idea. Liberty, no idea, like, really what's happening. She's three. She kind of gets it. Like, family meeting. Okay, well, we're all hanging out. And Oliver's a little more serious. He's like, family meeting. This doesn't really happen often. What's going on? And so I'm just trying to fake it till I make it. Like, I God, I get it. Like, I believe you that, that he's in heaven. But, like, like it does, it's still not good. Um, and, but, but I have to smile. I have to just encourage my kids. And so uh, trying to figure out the words to say. Um, and so I, I tell... I tell Oliver, like, guys, Oliver and Liberty, the, Mommy went to the doctor last night, and 
it's, it's sad, but we're not going to get to meet uh, your brother here on earth. We, we're going to meet him in heaven. The baby died in mommy's tummy, but he's with Jesus now, and he's more happy than you are to be there. And uh, liberty, like literally, in three seconds. This is the first thing she says, and, and, and we documented it because it meant so much to us. She goes, remember Hannah in the Bible? She didn't have any children, and God gave her a baby. She also didn't have a TV or a remote. <laughs> and... <laughs> and what I think is so fascinating is through that heart of a child, the first thing she thought of was God's word. She knew something was happening, and she, she saw that something was weird, and the first thing she did in her little three-year-old brain was like, there has to be a Bible verse about this somewhere in my little brain. And what's so interesting is that this verse is actually the antithesis, right? This is a promise that irrelevantly is the opposite of what happened. But the theme was there, and instead of her dwelling on her circumstance— she took God out of his word and went like, yeah, God, this happened to me, but isn't it so cool in your Bible when this, the opposite of this happened to somebody else? It's like, that perspective is so beautiful. Um, and Molly and I are giggling at, at that point a little bit, and our, our countenance begins, like, is falling. The countenance begins to, to lift a little bit. And uh, Oliver's just still kind of like, I don't buy it. And so he asks, he goes, he's in heaven. Like, don't lie to me. He's in heaven? And before I could answer, Liberty goes, he's in heaven! And she like runs out. She like runs out of the room and she's like, she's done. So she doesn't care about anything else. Her, ba- her baby brother's in heaven and like she forgets every once in a while, even now, but she's just stoked. And, and Oliver, but Oliver's looking at me like, please tell me what I need to believe right now. And that heart of a child and I look at him and say, buddy, he's in heaven. And then his countenance lifts. He, he, he takes me at my word and goes, okay, he's in heaven. Like, so then we don't need to be sad? I'm like, well, we can be sad, uh, but ultimately we know that God um, causes all this stuff to work for good, altogether for his good. Romans 8.28. And this is in my personal email as like a little piece of it, 8.28. And God was speaking to me in this moment like, dude, is this just like, Something that you put in your email because it sounds cool? Uh, is it just a bumper sticker? Is it just, um, you know, uh, maybe it's a tattoo. You got Romans 8.28 tattooed on you. It reads, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is like that verse that if you're going through someone, someone sends it to you and you're like, thanks, yes, I am aware. This still is not fun. Um, but... That's not the person that sent you the verse's problem. That's your problem. Because it's still true. That's God's word. you got to take him at his word. Do you actually believe it? You say you believe it, but do you believe it with the heart of a child? Like Liberty sitting with me looking at her father going, the next word you say I believe. Like Oliver looking at me like, please tell me the truth because I believe you. Is that how you look at your father's words? And that heart of a child is so precious. We see it in Luke 18, 17. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Uh, I, I took Oliver on a 
a commercial shoot. My, my kid is a child actor, whatever that means. Uh, and uh, he, we, we were shooting a, a Colgate commercial, and I never, I try to do, uh, I try to have no part in this world because it freaks me out. I'm like, babe, if you want to take him to these things, sweet. Uh, and she has such a discernment in it, and she's so good with it. But I just look around, and I go like, this is a crazy, crazy um, environment. And, and we've, t- we've turned down a lot of, a lot of um, things that people have offered him. Um, but through prayer and, wi- and, and the Lord's wisdom, uh, he's used it in awesome ways. And so we're, we're doing this Colgate shoot. I, this is four days after we find this out. Molly's like, well, why don't you just take him? Um, so I take Oliver, the first, the first uh, commercial shoot I've been on with him. And it's crazy. When kids work, they also have to go to school. And so they don't let them work for a certain amount of time as actors and actresses unless they go to school for a certain amount of time. It's just like ratio. And so he's got to go to school for like two and a half hours or something this day. And so they have assigned paid teachers to be there to teach them until they've learned enough. And then they can go work and, and do their, their, fo- their photo or um, commercial shoot. So this poor t- teacher comes up to him. Uh, Buddy... Oliver, like, nice to meet you. Do you have, do you have, any, um, do you have any siblings? And the grand, it's like four days after. Uh, and he goes, yeah, I have a brother. He's one. His name's Elliot. I have a sister, Liberty. And I, I have a baby. Uh, he, I have a baby brother. He died in mommy's tummy, but he's in heaven now. And he's smiling, and then he just, like, starts coloring. And, like, the poor teacher is just like, okay. Like, that's kind of crazy how you just, like, said that and just continued on coloring. Um, but isn't that how God's word should affect us? Our countenance. Um, taking him at his word. Uh, after that perspective shift, getting schooled theologically by a six-year-old and a three-year-old, taking God at his word with the heart of a child, um, I used it as like a refocusing, and uh, I, I realized that in this season, I needed to stop thinking about myself personally and start thinking about my wife. I had to stop uh, directing attention to myself through, interesting enough, the way that us introverts do it, we direct the most attention to ourselves by claiming that we don't need attention, right? It's like this weird thing that crazy people do. Uh, and we withdraw, and in our withdrawal, I'm speaking to someone's heart right now, so it's like, I know it. <laughs> I get mine. Uh, it, it, in our, withdraw, our withdrawal, uh, we, we think that we're uh, lightening the load on everyone else around us, but really we're just making it more difficult. And, and so I'm, I'm with, I, I want to withdraw, I want to keep to myself, I want to disassociate, but Pastor Rick gave me this, this really awesome picture. He said, in this season, Micah, you are a drawbridge of love for your wife. Meaning that the love that everyone else around me wants to give to my family gets through me. And if I don't open up and let people love my family, then my wife misses out on healing. That I pretend like I don't need, but really I need just as much as she does. Um, and, and so, I, like, first I just want to thank you guys. Because you guys poured out love on my family like none other. We're drowning in DoorDash gift cards. Uh, and uh, it was awesome. And I, I realized in the season that um, God heals my heart differently than my wife's heart. And uh, I, I realized this, um, I, I realize this very profoundly and... And obviously, the first, the first bouquet of flowers that showed up, um, it, uh, 
uh, it shows up at the door, I grab it, and flowers mean nothing to me. Like, <laughs> like genuinely, like, flowers are flowers. It's a plant, like, sweet, thank you. I understand the sentiment around it, but the actual flower, like, I look at it, and, like, if you wrote a note, cool, but if it's just the flower, it's, like, it's going to die, and then, yeah, I'll throw it away. Uh, <laughs> but my wife, I walk into the living room with this bouquet of flowers, and she sees it, and she just begins to weep. Because the flowers to her represent the love that that person feels for, for us and our family. And then I read the note, and she weeps more. And First uh, Peter 3, 7, Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. So just like, we're going to take a pause in this sermon and like marital counseling. <laughs> like take a jump into that aspect. Uh, and so God in this is, is healing my heart as I'm taking him at his word. I'm just believing what he says. He's bringing these verses to mind, and I'm just, I'm just believing him. And then slowly, the countenance continues to lift. Very good somehow is being restored. I don't, it, it, it's crazy. Like, God, how could I look back on something so terrible? It's going to sound like an exaggeration, but it is not. I promise you, it is not. I, in the two and a half weeks that I spent with my wife through this season— Two and a half weeks away from work, I mean. From the time we found out to two and a half weeks later when I went back to work, I spent more time with my wife and my family than I had the entire year. And I, I did the math. I counted the hours on average. And I spent more time with my family in those two and a half weeks. And not only did I spend the time with them, the quality of that time being focused on what the Lord was doing in our hearts, I grew with my wife more in those two and a half weeks than I had in a very long time. How does God do that? And I can look back on this and go, it blows my mind that I'm even about to say this, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. How does God make very bad very good? Fast forward like a week or so, and, uh, so awesome. My, my, my best friend, Micah Harris, and his wife, Emily Harris, have their baby, Claire Evangeline uh, Harris. She is the cutest thing in the world. She's actually back there. You could give her a round of applause. Uh, she is beautiful. Micah, I don't know, dude. I don't get it. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> God is good. Amen. <laughs> like, how could you make something that cute? It's because of your wife. <laughs> uh, but, so th- this happens, and, and, and Molly and I were supposed to be there, and, and we were really stoked to be involved in this, and I was supposed to be there to help Micah not faint. Uh, Molly was supposed to be with Emily, just helping her through the, the, the first labor and first delivery, and, but man, it, we find out that about two weeks after we're recovering, uh, Emily goes into labor, and Molly was so excited to be pregnant with her best friend at the same time. And, and God, God works in amazing ways in the things that we feel like uh, don't make sense. And the enemy wants you to think something different. And the enemy tricks you into thinking that your circumstance uh, is is not able to be redeemed. 
Uh, and, and so we're, we're like, God, like, it's only been two weeks. We have done nothing else. We've, we've gone nowhere. And this happens, and we're like, would this really be our first outing? My, we, we, we give birth to our stillborn child, and then the first outing we have is celebration of life with our friends. And we're like, God, it's just too weird. Like, it, there's, it's just not going to work. It, I, I just can't do it. And, and, and slowly but surely, God is confirming in our hearts, like, you need to go support your friends. Like, all right, let's do it. Just take it, God, out of his word. Like, let's just do it. So we go, uh, we go to the birthing center, and uh, things, aren't, uh, things aren't progressing as, as th- they would want. We, they wanted to, to deliver Claire in the birthing center, but they couldn't. And grant, disclaimer real fast. Guys, this is not like a one-size-fits-all application, like how to deal with this in your life. Uh, I understand that this is just uh, the way that the Lord used, um, used this scenario to heal our hearts. Um, and so we're at the birthing center, and things aren't progressing as they, as they should, as we hoped. And so uh, Emily needs to be uh, transferred to Los Robos Hospital. And like, we're like, all right, cool, we showed up, but like, Los Robos, seriously? Like, I don't want to go back there. Like, it's only been two weeks, Lord. Like, you can't, you can't redeem it. You can't. There's no way. And we're str- I'm, I'm struggling through it. And like, look, it's COVID. I can't go in the hospital anyways. Why would I even show up? And God's just like, no, um, you're going to go. I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. And so we go, and we're, we're just going to go and pray. Like, we just set that in our hearts. We're going to go and pray for our friends. And so we show up. Same thing, like the way that the Lord uses your memory. And it had only been two weeks. And so we're dri- driving in, make a left into that parking, uh, into the ER, around that curve, into the parking structure and it's like why is it the one parking spot like that same one it's the most convenient one why would no one take that one god's like you gotta park in the same place dude i'm trying to do something god all right whatever so i park in that same spot like where that where my countenance fell the first time i parked there and we get out and we're like all right well let's let's go pray let's just go let's go pray and so we get out of the car, we go, that same sidewalk, same path, we walk, we sit down in a chair, a little table right there outside the ER, and we start praying. And we start praying for, for Mikey, we start praying for Emily, we start praying for Claire, and still healing, like still healing. Like, God, I trust you. God's healing our hearts, taking him at, at his word. And, uh, and, and then we, we, we're done praying. We literally run out of things to pray for for them. So then we just, we start praying for everyone in the hospital. We're just like, all right, cool. Let's just keep praying. And I challenge you, uh, husbands, wives, if you haven't just like gone somewhere and prayed with your spouse, just do it. Like, it, don't take, don't, don't have a circumstance like this push you in that direction. Like, let this right now push you there. Um, and, and the healing is, the healing that happened is amazing. And so we're, we're finished praying. Our, we're, we got smiles on our faces somehow. And we're walking back the same sidewalk and Molly looks at me, and she turns around as she's walking backwards, and she's smiling on her face. There's some, like, ridiculous country song on the PA system, and she's kind of, like, dancing. And she goes, last time I left here carrying the body of my dead baby inside of me, and now I'm leaving full of joy knowing my best friend is safe and delivering her beautiful daughter. And through this whole thing, God is teaching me more and more that very good is not circumstance. It's mindset. It's not the cards that we've been dealt. It's not the year that we've had. It's your perspective on those cards. It's your perspective on that year. 
I'm sorry if this is shocking to you, if you had hope, but uh, your life isn't going to get better when 2020 ends. Like, that's just the reality. 2020 was terrible, um, but 2021 could be worse. And the only thing that is going to change is not necessarily, necessarily your circumstance, but your mindset. Um, we like to deify or demonize our circumstance uh, based on how we're feeling, based on where we're at in life. Um, we, th- we like to think that the left owns the corner of the market on victimhood, and, and they don't. Uh, we can be just as bad. I know I can be just as bad. Uh, very good, very good is not how you think things should be. The word should, very interesting, used to indicate obligation, duty, or correctness. Typically when criticizing someone's actions. I think that that someone's, that word someone, should be capitalized. Uh, Because when we're criticizing something and and dwelling on on how it should be, I should be preaching instead of him, I should uh, have this job, my family should have this money at this point, should, 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 Um, my wife should be 26 weeks pregnant right now. When it, it's it, these things that are out of our control, uh, and all we're doing is dwelling on how things should be, really, we're criticizing the Lord. We're criticizing uh, the creator of the universe, who holds the span of everything, everything in the span of his hands. And somehow, 2020, being very, very, very bad, somehow, I look back on it, and this is what Pastor Rob said, Being the worst year of my life, somehow I look back on it and it's the best year of my life. How does that happen? How does that happen? With Jesus, very good has, without Jesus, excuse me, very good has always been circumstantial. But with him it becomes providential. Even in the garden, very good was circumstantial. It was based on what was happening. Don't do this and it's very good. Until Jesus, it was circumstantial. Follow these laws, and it will be very good. But now, in this season 2,000 years ago, the reason why we're celebrating this, we realize that very good at this point has absolutely nothing to do with you. Has absolutely nothing to do with your circumstance. It's providential. Very good is providential. What does that mean? Involving divine foresight or intervention. The only way that very good is going to happen in your life and in your heart is if God intervenes. Pastor Micah, your millennial is showing. It sounds like you're telling us to just sit back and relax and accept the way things are. Kind of, but actually the opposite. Right, Philippians 4, 12 and 13, I know how to be a base, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, we were in paradise, it was very good until we stopped taking God at his word. Until we stopped looking at him like a three-year-old in her father's lap, looking up, just going, anything you tell me I believe. And not only do I believe it, I act upon it. The big question for us today 
especially for, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, is can very good ever be found again? Can it ever be restored? And the answer is yes, it can. It's the reason why we're here a few days before Christmas. The way back to very good came through a baby boy that came to die for you. And just like God used the birth of Claire, a baby in our life, to heal our hearts, God wants to use in this season the birth of his son to heal your life. Not just temporarily, not to have anything to do with your circumstance, but everything to do with the condition of your heart. Things aren't very good because what you're going through is very good. Things are very good because he is very good. Amen? He's good in spite of everything. Don't let anyone lie to you, especially the enemy, especially yourself. Don't let yourself lie to you that God is not good because of something you're going through. God is good. That is, that is infinitely permanent. You cannot change it. He is good. And when you, with the heart of a child, take him at his word, he will heal you. He will give you that childlike perspective on your life. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son as a baby to redeem us. Lord, we thank you for bringing very good back to earth through your son. Lord, that we can look at this Christmas season and go, we're not faking it. We know that the world around us is crumbling. We know that our circumstances are terrible. We know that uh, we have this idea of how things should be. We know that. But we get to be here singing glory to the newborn king because you are good. And it doesn't matter what's happening around us. We declare that. We love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. We pray it. Amen. Let's stand.